Hello there. My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for Torchlight 2 with Travis Baldry. Hi there. Travis, thank you for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. I, I can imagine you probably don't have much to do these days. No, no, it's really slow. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, the slow Indian summer days up there at uh, Runic. Uh, actually, so describe for me what you must be somewhere between like elation and exhaustion. Uh, what are things like there right now at Runic Games with the release of Torchlight 2? Well, there's a lot of really tired people stumbling around. I think I headed home at about 3.30 this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, everybody's super excited about the response. Of course, all of the artists are better rested than anyone else because they don't have any post, <laughs> post-launch support to do. Um, we're really happy with how it's been received. It's, it's, we've got a ton of people playing. Um, the response has been really good. We're happy with how it turned out. Um, now, this must feel very different from, uh, you know, you've been kind of through this this dance before uh, with Fate and Torchlight. Uh, in, in what ways does this feel different? Is it just, just bigger? A lot of it's just bigger. Uh, Fate, I think I was at E3 when that shipped and was answering the three or four forum posts about it. I was really <laughs> excited at the time that 20 or 30 people were playing it. That was super cool. Um, Torchlight, we were just happy to be released and praying to God that people would buy it so that we'd be able to survive for another two weeks. And, uh, you know, it was it was a much slower build. You know, we had, I think on Steam, we were selling like 150 copies an hour or something on launch day. We thought that was amazing! <laughs> and uh, it, Torchlight 2 did a lot better than that. Um, I can imagine, yes. <laughs> but the, the amount of, you know, comments coming in and, you know, issues to take care of, and obviously our, our poor servers did not appreciate... Uh, I think our website was down for hours yesterday. Uh, we had problems with our account creation just mm-hmm. due to load, uh, which is a new problem for us. Uh, we tried, but uh... a, a new problem for you guys. <laughs> but what what I think a lot of us appreciate is, you know what? If you can't sign into an internet game, so what? You can play on a LAN. You can do the single player. Uh, it, it was a refreshing change of pace. That even though there might have been some of those launch hiccups, it did not impact my ability to play your game in any way. So, we were uh, very happy about that. <laughs> yeah. Now, so I do want to talk uh, briefly uh, a little bit about timing. Uh, sure. I know you guys have no control over what other companies release when, uh, but a lot of the people who would want to play Torchlight 2 might right now be in the throes of, of like Guild Wars or Borderlands or maybe still even coming off of some sort of a Diablo 3 bender. Uh, how concerning is timing to you guys? Um, and was the situation with the with the launch with the release window even an issue, or was it just a matter of the game's ready, let's launch? I mean, the only real so we we really weren't very concerned about other games, mostly because historically for us we don't usually sell most of our games at launch. Mm-hmm. I mean, Torchlight sold barely anything at launch. We we got most of our sales from Steam sales, and it sold for it still sells. Um, so the actual timing of the individual release is not such a big deal because we don't have to worry about shelf space or you know bribing somebody for an end cap at Walmart or any of the rest of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we our our real barrier well not a barrier uh, the, the the point that we had to meet was that we told people we were going to be done by the end of the summer and we I think summer is now over so we just barely made it. Um, but we didn't worry too much about Borderlands or Pandaria or or Diablo 3. People have been telling us we are doomed because we 
didn't launch before D3, and we were going to be doomed because we launched immediately <laughs> after E3 or D3. And oh no, you're, you're you're launching the same week as Borderlands. You must be doomed. But we we launched the same week as Borderlands One, and nobody cared. Um, so we, it really it just hasn't concerned us. We're just trying to make the damn thing and get it out the door. It really is sort of a matter of, uh, you know, no matter when you launch, there's going to be something you have to deal with. There's going to be some sort of competitor content to contend with. But I can't help but feel, Travis, that, uh, good Lord, you're not making it easy for me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a problem I enjoy having, though. Uh, now, I, one of the things that I am struck with when I sit down to discover uh, Torchlight 2 uh, is that I, I remember Fate and Torchlight 1 having a very, um, I don't want to say casual, having a very friendly feel. Like, they, they were they were kind of warm and cuddly in a way. Like, from the look of them to the whatever difficulty curve was there, they were very welcoming. They seemed carefully designed so as not to frustrate casual players who might want to get into an, R, an, an action RPG. Yep. Uh, now, Torchlight 2 still definitely has this, but I get the sense, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that you guys also want to do a lot of old-school things uh, that that a guy like me might want to avail himself of to make the game more punishing or more difficult or more, or more challenging. Um, yep. Is that a fair assessment? Is that something that's, that you guys that's pretty fair. Okay. Yeah, that's that was definitely part of it. I mean, one of the the complaints that was leveled against Torchlight when we released it was just too damn easy, um, and it was harder to switch difficulties, obviously, in Torchlight One, which exacerbated the problem. So. We tried to make sure that there was going to be a, a bit of a stiffer challenge and not to handhold people too much in that regard. Um, but by the same token, I just like older games. I like those older systems. I like the permanence of choice and the fact that my story is made up of these hard choices that I made that resulted in something completely different. And sometimes it goes horribly wrong. I think Dwarf Fortress is awesome. I think that failure is not necessarily a bad game. <laughs> Now, so so then, when I make a character build, I'm playing an uh, the, an outlander right now, and yeah. as I'm creating her, I am realizing uh, that she is great against swarms of enemies, and I can just cut through them, and it works fantastically. I'm doing a, a little darkling build where where she get, gets momentum by killing things. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I feel like you know what? When I'm doing toe to toe with a big boss. I've kind of gimped myself. Like I feel like not that I've made a bad build, just that my build is very specific to certain instances, and I either need to work around that or accept that limitation. Like I, I feel like it, it's not like when that happens in Diablo three, I just tinker my skills around and I can have whatever I want whenever I mm -hmm. want it. Mm -hmm. Here, you guys are kind of holding my feet to the fire and making me accountable for my choices. Um, and well, we do I, want those choices to make sense. We want we're, we want them to we want there to be moments where you say, "Oh God, I what if I'd done something else? This would be so much easier." Mm -hmm. I mean, all the work we put into making these games randomized, the only reason to do that is because you want to play it again or you want it to be fresh in some new way the next time you play it. Mm -hmm. um, so we want you to have this kind of like, mm, "What if? What if I had just done this?" On the other hand, we don't want you to be screwed. Um, in some ways, things like the spell system and the pets are kind of our, our safety valve. Okay, I, I was not a summoner, or I, I, I didn't make this choice, but I have these sort of secondary abilities that I can pop on that might, you know, help me, help me weather the, weather the storm or something that I can do with my pet that makes it a little bit more easy to get through this. Um, and of course now there's multiplayer too. You have the option to bring someone else in to get you through a tough spot, but, 
And, and I have to say, Travis, that was huge. I mean, I realized, you know, there was no multiplayer in Torchlight. Cool, it's a, a nifty little new feature in Torchlight 2. But uh, when the game launched, uh, y- yes, no, well, within the last few days, when the, since the game has launched, I went online and just jumped into a game, and I was just flabbergasted at how how quickly I was, like, tearing through things and just how quickly that that experience point bar was moving up in an area where I previously was just having to inch through and clear out. It was almost like ironing a shirt. Like I had to clear out (laughs) this area and then back up and then clear out this area. But then I jumped online and it just became this substantially different game. Uh, So it felt awesome to have that option in multiplayer to to really get a uh, a helping hand pushing through some of those difficult areas. Uh, Now that, so... Tell me briefly about adding multiplayer. Like, of course you do that. It must have been easy. You just add networking code. <laughs> oh, yeah, you uh, just add the networking. I mean, you know, you should just mod that in after the fact. Yeah, um, yeah, you mod it in, you bring someone in, just bang on it for a week, and then it's done, right? <laughs> like, yeah. what, what, was it, what was that like, deciding, okay, we're going to do multiplayer? How did, how did that go for you guys? Well, we knew we needed to do it, um, and the big question at the beginning was whether we were going to care more about security or whether we were going to kind of stick with the open modability of the game. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, kind of a really, real. The challenges are really a lot different making things that way um, because we're small and we don't really want to be a service provider that has to hire a bunch of people to run a bunch of servers. And because we like modding still, and because other games, you know, kind of had that covered, we decided to do kind of the older school peer-to-peer, not super secure way of uh, of playing with others online. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as far as actually making it work, making these games work in multiplayer is actually a big, huge pain in the butt because there's so many moving objects and there's so many. It's not a. It's not like an MMO where you know you do the role and behind the scenes it says, oh yes, you hit, and everything else is just about playing some animations to vaguely approximate what happened. Mm-hmm. Here everything's physical. There are missiles that are corkscrewing all over the place. They have to actually physically hit objects. They can push them back when they hit them. It's much more of an actual action game, but with you know hundreds of units. Um, and that can be a challenge. It's a little, it's a little hairy sometimes. What does that do to the way you make the characters? Uh, as far as here, are your four classes. There are this kinds of, there are this many different kinds of builds each class can do. Uh, d- does doing multiplayer help you there? And that you realize that classes can help each other, and that that maybe a, a, a character like me who's not very good at going head to head with a boss, you can let that pass because I can go into multiplayer. Does it make it more difficult to tune things? I mean, it certainly adds some to it, um, especially once people can start attacking the same things together, because mostly the game is about mowing down crowds in a lot of ways, and when five people are mowing down the same crowd, there's a lot of numbers twiddling that we do to try and equalize that in in multiplayer. Um, as far as choosing what the classes do, I mean, we still really wanted them to be totally viable as single-player classes and something that you'd want to do, and that there wouldn't be these these kind of dead skills out in the skill tree that had no function for you if you were playing by yourself. Um, so mostly we tried to, to lay in some additional class functionality into skills that we thought you'd already use. So the engineer puts on a shield. It's ridiculously useful for the engineer. But it also gives you kind of a secondary shield for other party members. Um, some of the other kind of uh, uh, area buffs. We, we tend to do area buffs um, so that you can incorporate lots of other players without having to individually target them, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, are some of the classes designed to be more challenging than others? Not explicitly. Um, 
I think that, I mean, it just sort of naturally shakes out that way. And it's not always the same for the duration of the game. For instance, the Berserker can be harder for a lot of people to play in the beginning, but once you get about halfway through and you're basically doing constant critical hits because you've invested a little bit in your charge mechanic, they're just insane. Um, uh, and the Outlander that you're playing right now is really easy at the beginning, honestly, because nothing is really that fast. They don't have a lot of ways to immobilize you or pull you around, and you can just spam the shit out of them from, from range. Mm-hmm. But then, as you're finding out, when you get deeper into the game and the bosses start to soak up a little more HP and, and monsters start to get new abilities that you know impair your mobility, that can be a little bit harder. Yeah, suddenly I have to start putting points into Vitality. <laughs> I did not expect that. <laughs> uh, and I did run into, uh, and just a tip of the hat to some of the creatures you guys have done, and what they're kind of like halfway between dynamic events or elite mobs, or but I just ran into something in Act 2 called a Sand Hulk. And he had an ability called Stone Prison. Then I was like, okay, that's cute. He's probably just going to root me. Uh, when I discovered what Stone Prison was, uh, I, I was just so delighted to see something that huge, that epic. Um, I love it, that skill. <laughs> that and just discovering that. I don't even want to say what it is because if you if you run into a stone hulk, a sand hulk, uh, run him down and fight him and experience the joy of stone prison. Uh, <laughs> but but I just love that uh, there's there's a much more of a sense of you know the first act is fairly traditional dungeons, but then you get into the second act. Uh, and it, it's just huge and expansive and open, and there's so much like breathing room and space to move around. Um, the, the game really strikes me, and I didn't expect this, as vast. It, we weren't actually expecting it to be as big as it ended up being either. We actually cut a bunch of stuff. Um, when we first started, we, we thought, okay, well, we want to do outdoors. This is how long it took us to make Torchlight. Here's the number of different tile sets we made. We'll just kind of extrapolate on that. Oh, sure, we want this many more, and this is how much time it will take, and this is how big it will be. And it wasn't like that at all. It was a, a total failure of imagination as to what that would actually entail. Uh, um, and our, our level design team is, frankly, really amazing and took what they were given and did a lot of crazy, amazing stuff with it that we really didn't set out to make, but which made the game a lot better. Um, so the areas being gigantic and having such bonkers stuff in them is, is largely due to the fact that they just decided that that would be kick-ass and went and did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I'm curious how you expect a player to um, to kind of move through the world. Because in, in a lot of uh, games with procedurally generated levels, with, with this sort of dynamic level creation, uh, you can just make a beeline to your objective, and you hit objective to objective, and, and you can just sort of breeze through the levels and... Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to explore every nook and cranny. Um, I got into a situation in Act 2. Uh, I think the town is called Ze- uh, Zephyrish. Is that right? Zephyrish, yeah. Zephyrish. The, 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 main, the main hub, yep. Right. Uh, and I, at level 27, I got in this weird situation where I... And I don't know if it was a, a factor of my difficulty setting, if I had missed some sort of trigger, but I got into a weird situation where there was no explicit area with that, you know, the areas are listed by a level range, and there was uh-huh. no place for a level 27 specifically to be. You know, there was like a, a 23 to 25, and then there was a 29 to 31. And and I was wondering, do you expect me, and, and I, this is what I've started doing, and I'm totally okay with this, but do you expect a player to sort of clear out an area before he moves on? Um, it was that an anomaly, for instance, that there was no specific place for me at level 27 to go to, or did I miss something? 
sometimes I think there's gaps um, because when you enter an area, it'll anchor it to the level that you were in when you got there. Ah. So there's there's a it's usually a relatively tight band. You know, I don't think it ever exceeds I think five levels, but there is you know a chance where you can have a level or two where there's not a level that that perfectly matches yours, and usually that's okay um, because monsters don't become immediately impossible one to two levels above you. Um, and you have so much killing power that, I mean, compared to elite mode, it's... <laughs> well, and, um, and there was, too, an option to just go host a land game at a level setting and just mm-hmm. uh, not not grind, but to just sort of play at, at whatever, you know, in a new instance kind of, or go online, you know, look for a game yep. online to get a few levels. So it was fairly easy to get through, but... Uh, I, I just wondered if you were expecting that people will will clear out these areas before they move on because um, I'm not I'm not used to doing that. We know some people will, but we try not to require you to. Um, so if you clear out every level completely, you'll usually over level a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the XP gain tuned such that as you start to kind of get ahead of the monsters, it'll it'll start to to decrease their XP contribution so that the game can catch up to you a little bit. So you don't totally ruin your game by getting five levels ahead of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to let you do both and still have it work out. I mean, it's a weird juggling act, and because it's randomized, it's even weirder. Um, now, I, I will say, though, Travis, there that was kind of, like, compared to games like Diablo 3 or Borderlands 2, uh, that was kind of unique, that I got this sense of, you know what, I've seized this territory, I've killed the monsters here, this is now safe. Uh, you, you know, I liked that almost sense of persistence, like accomplishment. Uh, you know, I'm used to just harvesting these areas for monsters as they spawn, but in the single-player game, I got a sense of, you know what, I can clear out this the, this wasteland, I can kill these monsters, and now it's mine. You know, I'm got it. Preserve, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I like knowing that things are dead. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, one of the reasons we added the re-roll world box because there are people who want to do areas again and want to re-clear them, and we wanted to give them a mechanism to do that if they really felt that they had to, but we didn't want it to be kind of the, the baseline experience. Even in multiplayer, if you're playing with friends and you're playing the same game again tomorrow, the areas won't actually re-roll until a certain amount of time or number of areas has been reached that it starts to drop them off the end. You know, so I'm curious about that in single player. Uh, is there a way, so so given enough time and distance, even single player areas, if I go back in a waypoint, will yeah. uh, respawn monsters? Okay. So there, yep. And there's no, I noticed in the LAN option, there is that, you know, re-roll world. Uh, mm-hmm. but there's no option to do that in single player, right? Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's maybe a little bit janky, but our thought was, well, there's not a really... We couldn't think of some in-game mechanism that made any sense for doing it in single-player. And we didn't really want to introduce an additional menu when you were going into a single-player game. So we thought, well, you can just quickly start a land game and re-roll it, and then go back to your single-player game, and and you keep that re-roll. Right. Well, I will say, though, like I said, I I like that. I like that sense of accomplishment, and it it definitely sets Torchlight 2 apart from a lot of other action RPGs where... It's like going through a river. You know, once you wade through an area, the water just flows right back in, and you've you've had no effect on on the location. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I really dig that vibe in Torchlight too. Uh, you know, this is mine. All you monsters, you're dead. Like you say, you know, it's nice when things stay dead. 
Uh, all right, so, so another thing I want to call you guys out on for doing an incredible job with, and I did not expect this, uh, I've been paying attention a lot to, you know, in Borderlands 2, in Diablo, in Guild Wars 2, to how they do their economies and what their money sinks are and how much money means to me. And of the games I've been playing lately, you guys, I think, have done just an incredible job of creating this uh, this razor-fine line between not having enough money and and gratifying me by giving me cool stuff to spend money on. I constantly feel like I want more money, but I constantly feel like I've got cool things to do with the amount of money I have now. Um, so one of the great money sinks, and was this in Torchlight 1? Was there enchanting? There uh, was, but people had uh, had uh, really wildly differing opinions on its implementation. So, Was it different from what it is in Torchlight 2? It was. Or? Okay. So it, enchantment in Torchlight 1 was, con- it still cost money, but it was potentially a lot more punishing. You could enchant as many times as you want, but every time you enchanted, the chance that all of your enchantments would be wiped escalated. So it was kind of this continual oh. raising of stakes. Oh, can I try for one more? Can I try for one more? Oh, that is you could brutal, get like 30 <laughs> enchantments on an item, but you know if you messed up, it was all gone. So that was widely reviled, except for maybe a couple of people. And so we we went back to the drawing board on that. And this is, uh, you know, this is a, a fairer system. And there's some strategy to it, you know. Well, well I, I, what kind of strategy? I, Tell me a little bit about the strategy because I could use some. There are different enchanters with different properties, um, and you can find them out in the world. Um, right. And you'll continue to open up new ones in different locations, and they all have different maxes. So some of them can actually enchant, you know, more times than another might. So you might seek out and mark some that you're going to go back to later. Oh, I've got this item. I really want to get five enchants on it. Ah. And this guy specializes in electricity, so I'm going to go do that. Ah, um, but, and so the guy in town, is he just in, uh, in Zerafish, is he just a generic? Yeah, he's more generic. Chance? Okay, okay. Yep. There's also one that will add sockets that's somewhere. And I've I, seen that. A, oh, I saw that. called the Boon Scroll, which will summon a very fancy enchanter temporarily. Ah, okay, good to know. Very good to know. Uh, Now, okay, so then let's talk about transmuting. Um, Is that new? Uh, Transmuting was in Torchlight 1, but we got rid of a lot of the old stuff from it and tried a different tack on recipes. So we used to have kind of the classic, oh, I have four crappy gems, I'm going to make a slightly better gem, and as soon as I get four of those, I can make a slightly less crappy gem. Mm -hmm. Um, But we really didn't like that feeling of having to save a bunch of horrible sockets, uh, socketables, and slowly, tediously make them something useful. Um, so we try to get rid of those kinds of recipes and do more useful stuff. So, for instance, there's a recipe. If you have two set items that you don't want that aren't useful for a set you've got, you can combine them, and it'll roll you a random one. Maybe you'll get something useful. Um, if you've got an item with no sockets and you have two old socketables you don't care about, right. you can combine them, and it will add a socket. Um, you can combine socketables, but it just makes a random new socketable instead of some sort of kind of path of escalation for that one. Now, uh, is there some mechanism, because I've only got the basic recipes that start out, Is there, what's the mechanism for adding new recipes? Is it just uh, you want people to throw things in there and try to discover stuff? Do new recipes get added as you progress through the game? Um, we've got kind of a limited set that we shipped with that we thought were just kind of the baseline useful ones. I, I don't believe we have any more that you get over the course of the game. We figured okay. it was something we might just add as as we go along. Oh, here's a few new recipes for interesting stuff or maybe to make some super special item. Um, that's, 
That's good. You know, I've definitely been like throwing stuff in there, wondering if I'm supposed to. Uh, and again, I blame Guild Wars 2 on this, which I've been playing, <laughs> because in that you're supposed to randomly throw things uh, into the crafting system and wait for the button to light up. Uh, to discover <laughs> recipes, and I didn't know if you were wanting me to do that in Torchlight 2. I don't believe we're set up to do that right now. I think it'll show you the ingredient requirements, and then it shows you what the recipe does as soon as you've actually tried those ingredients. Okay. Well, yeah, now I have seen, it's like the templates over there on the left, yeah. and they tell you what things to put in. I, I was kind of wondering, well, are these just the starters? Am I supposed to learn other things? But that's good to know, because there's still plenty to, to play with there. And I Lord we knows... we have the capability for hidden ones. I wonder if somebody put some hidden ones in. Oh, you uh, jerk, you jerk. I don't know now. No, I'll, I'll tell you later. I'll look it up, I, I swear. <laughs> You're just teasing me now. That's really cruel. I know we have the ability to do hidden ones. I just can't remember if we did it. There's just too damn much content in the game. I can't keep track of it all. Well, I will uh, say, Travis, so part of what made me wonder about that is on the page of recipes, there's a little tiny button that implies there will be more pages. Yeah, so, it certainly supports more. Um, okay. And we figured that people would add a bunch, too, as soon as we release the, release the tools. So. Okay. Uh, all right, well that's that's good to know. I'll uh, I might. <laughs> I'll in. look it up. I'll look it up. I swear I won't make you. I won't make you experiment anymore. Uh, so uh, you guys had a problem that a lot of launches would would like to have. So uh, there there were I think you added servers uh, based on the demand when the game came out for for people to get online and, and play internet games. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me a bit about what happened there and how that's going. Actually, the lobby was fine. The funny thing is our lobby was fine and our authentication was fine. It was actually our web services that all died in a fire. Oh. Um, it, uh, so all the things that we thought would go wrong did not go wrong. They held up perfectly. It was stuff that we didn't expect to have any problems with that went, that went bananas. Um, so we did a database move last night for our account management and creation system so that it could stand up to the load of people just trying to redeem and link their Steam accounts to an Internet account. Mm -hmm. um, that's basically where everything went kapooey. Okay. Uh, now, uh, do you have, and can you talk about any data yet in terms of things like which classes are most popular? I think we have some, but I actually haven't even had any time to scan it yet. Everything's just been about kind of this post-release runaround. Um, from everything that I have seen from people playing at PAX and everywhere else, I want to say that the engineer seems to be kind of the, the clear favorite, mm -hmm. um, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, describe for me, so I know what the Outlander does. Like, I know the Outlander uh, is ranged. Um, and, and here's another thing, actually, I'm curious about, Travis. As uh, Am I supposed to be also equipping melee weapons? Like, I know there's actually no right, there's no definitive answer for how to play a class. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, is, is someone who is only using pistols and that huge big old cannon playing an Outlander correctly? I think that works out just fine. There's really no requirement to use melee. Um, we added a couple of melee skills to them that don't require melee weapons, just so that if you felt you needed to do it, you wouldn't have to tote around the gear. Mm -hmm. uh, there's like a, the glaive swipe, I think, and uh, the backflip ends up being kind of useful for getting away from any melee situations. Um, I mean, we want you to be able to do whatever, but there shouldn't be a requirement to use a melee weapon for an Outlander at all. Although I do know people do kind of the combo where they'll do a pistol in one hand and a melee in the in the left. So mm -hmm. that they can beat somebody on the head. Ah, I did not close. think of it. But then they lose their execute chance. And I would you think do lose huge. the execute chance at yeah. that time. Uh, and by the way, something else that I love that I don't think I've seen in another uh, action RPG is uh, fumbles. 
Like I, I've turned on the detailed numbers because I just love, you know, when you play D and D and you roll that one, that's a story right there. You know, yep. the time that your barbarian swung his axe and hit himself on the foot, and I, yep. I love seeing the. Pur- I, I, I say I love. I hate seeing the purple numbers pop <laughs> up, uh, but I love that you guys have put that in there, uh, and I love too what it does to. You know, you kind of get a sense when you play a lot of action RPGs, you watch a monster's hit point bar decline at a steady rate, and there's not a lot of variety in that rate. I've gotten situations where I'm just plugging away at something and getting a few fumbles, and it the, the bar doesn't go down as quickly as it should. Or conversely, we're, holy cats, look at that, I got a couple of critical hits, and it, it just vanished. Uh, yep. I love the variability in the damage, I guess. Uh, and it just seems like a lot of action RPGs smooth that out and just make a nice, even average that you're yeah. used to watching. Uh, the, the, so, I mean, the thing is, I like the concept of a miss. I like the idea that you can screw up in combat. Mm-hmm. But the reason we won't, don't do an actual miss is because, and this sounds a little silly, it actually breaks up the audio rhythm in a really annoying way. There's a basic satisfaction to hitting things where you hear the whoosh, smash. Ah, yeah. And, and, and it feels like you're, you're missing stairs going down the stairs or something <laughs> if that sound does not play. So the reason we do fumble, weirdly, is because we want the miss, we want the concept of the miss, and we want you to be able to reduce that happening through the investment of stats or, or, or abilities or whatever, but we don't want the horrible annoyance of it sounding wrong when you're attacking stuff. Right, sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, tell me briefly what the different difficulties level levels do, because I was delighted to find, uh, and I think this was from Torchlight, but I was delighted to find that when I, I started on Veteran, and I noticed that when I bumped down to Normal to do a land game to just try to get some levels, I now had the option to respawn where I died. In yep. Veteran, you can only respawn at the beginning of the area or back in town for, for yep. free. Um, and by the way, another thing real quick, Travis, uh, that you guys do, which is really smart in terms of money sinks, is the death penalty is based on it, – it's encouraging me to spend my money. Yep. Like when, when I have a bunch of money in my pocket – and I know that if I die, I'm going to lose, I guess it's 10% or whatever. I'm going to lose a, a, a larger amount of money when I die. So I'm encouraged to spend that, you know. Yep. Uh, it doesn't do me any good sitting in the bank. So I love that part of the money sink. But uh, And I love how it varies based on difficulty level in terms of where I can respawn. Um, what were some other things you guys did with the various difficulty levels? I mean, at the baseline, all the difficulty levels have differences in how monsters soak up damage and how they do damage to you. That's the the baseline for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we like we like for people who just want to play for thirty minutes having that ability to just keep playing where you are. Um, we kind of went through a lot of iterations of this. Um, there's still boxes down at the bottom for some of the other properties we used to alter based on resurrection. For a while, we would take XP and fame. We did that in Torchlight One, but we found that for people who were super casual, they would just keep resurrecting where they were at, and they would uh, get into this horrible XP deficit over time. Right. And they wouldn't really notice what was happening, but it just kept pushing them further and further behind the curve, and it was nasty, a nasty downward spiral. So we stopped doing that altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and we figured, okay, we'll just use gold, because at least there's you know a limit to that, and you could do something about it, and we're always going to give you better stuff than you can buy anyway, so you won't be totally screwed. Mm-hmm. Um and for a while, we let you resurrect in place in Veteran and Elite. But eventually, we just decided, you know what? We, we just can't. It's, it's, too, it's too casual. <laughs> <laughs> well um, put, yes. Um, uh, 
and and in a lot of cases, resurrecting at the beginning of the level is not much of a penalty anyway, because it'll be some ridiculously short level, or you died at the entryway. Um, right. uh, so we didn't feel it was too bad of, of a penalty, and we give you so many ways to circumvent it in multiplayer too. After we made the changes to the portal system, that uh, well, I noticed that too. I didn't care when I died in multiplayer because I could just respawn a town and then portal to one of my buddies. So as long as he didn't die, you know, exactly. there, there was this great sense of putting pressure on him. If he died, he screwed us. If I die, it's fine. But if he dies, yep. then we're screwed, and it's his it, fault, and he's a horrible player. Which is kind of funny because as soon as someone dies and you're the only person left, you kind of like run around crazy for a while. Oh God, I, I need to stay alive just long enough for him to be able to to warp here. Exactly, intense survival mode. Yeah, last man standing. I'm I'm holding this place down. Yeah, stay alive. Uh, <laughs> now uh, and then, tell me about hardcore mode because I'm a little. I'm I'm. It's sort of like a cobra. I'm fascinated and terrified <laughs> by that hardcore button. Uh, obviously, a character dies. He or she is dead permanently. Uh, is anything else different in hardcore? Um. Oh man, did we do anything? I feel like at one point there were some other differences. But I think we may have stripped them out. I want to say that resale prices were cheaper. Um, you're also segregated from the shared stash. Well, that's what I wondered. Can I twink my hardcore character with my non-hardcore character? And it sounds, Travis, like you're saying like, no. 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 Okay. You can only twink sense. with other hardcore characters. So you can freely share between any other hardcore characters in their stash, but you're you're cut off from, from your regular characters. Now, I haven't looked at this, but I presume they're separate uh, uh, online. Hardcore games are identified separately. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're not allowed to. Uh, you're not allowed to bring a hardcore player into a non-hardcore game, or vice versa. And hardcore still allows me to choose easy, normal, veteran. Yeah, like yeah you can play an easy hardcore. I mean, it's it's there's still plenty of tension, and all my hard work is going to go away due to a misstep. Right. Uh, have you, Travis Baldry, played many hardcore characters? And how did it only go? a few, only a few, mostly, mostly just because I haven't had that much time to play. <laughs> um, I, I, I have to say, though, in a way, like, and this is a, a classic tenet of, of roguelikes, and you know, you clearly are influenced by NetHack based on the pet. In a way, hardcore is like great for not having much time because it, it immediately jumps you to these elevated stakes, and where you care a lot more about your character in much less time. You, you don't have to work as hard to get any tension. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well put. Um, I, I, I liked. I, I played the hell out of Spelunky, and uh, I mean, I, I like this sort of fast iteration on characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think you do have to play in a higher difficulty to get that same sort of speed of iteration. And the the biggest unfortunate thing about hardcore in a game like this is that if it's really long, you know. Wow, I, I I sunk thirty hours into this guy dying. I guess that makes a better story. But uh, right, exactly. Uh, and uh, do you preserve like? Is there any sort of hall of fame for hardcore characters? Do I get any you can recognition? Still see them. You can still okay. see them as a ghost. So they'll have like a ghostly version of themselves in your in your character list uh, if they've perished. Good to know. That's 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 enough for me. I'm sorry. There was some video we saw. It was this poor guy. I think he was like level 28, elite hardcore or something, and his mouse died. The battery in his mouse died oh. in the middle of some battle. And it just started beeping like crazy, and he's, <laughs> oh, God, no, not now, not now. <laughs> that's what you get for, uh, you can't trust a battery-driven remote mouse if you're playing a hardcore game. What was he thinking? He was asking for it. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, Travis, thank you for hanging out uh, with me. What is, um, so you guys, uh, you're dealing with launch issues. Uh, where do you go in the immediate future at Runic right now? What's on the plate for you guys? 
Uh, we've got a lot of other post-launch stuff on the plate. We've got to get the editor out so everybody can start modding the hell out of this. Um, we've got some other language versions that we got to get done. The Mac port has to get wrapped up. And we have kind of some freebie stuff that we want to do going forward in the next couple of months, just adding some extra goodies to the game for the hell of it. I um, see I see more uh, in transmutation recipes in my future. More transmutation recipes. And <laughs> we'll probably add um, kind of some interesting maps to the map room because they're kind of fun to make. Uh, probably some pets. Like well, I know some pets because I know one of them that's coming up. Uh, some items and other goodies. Um, the, the modding is going to be using Steam Workshop, so we're kind of really curious to see how that works out with people. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, great. Well, Travis, thank you so much, and uh, congratulations. You guys should be so proud. This is such a. Uh, you know, my concern was that this would come out and be swallowed by s- some of the competing games, and I'm just so delighted with how it has its own identity, its own style. Uh, you know, it has its own unique pull on me, and I can think of no better praise to extend it uh, at this point than, you know, it, it's standing out in a very, in a, a very challenging, very competitive time. <laughs> you guys have done a great job, Travis. Thanks so. a lot, Tom. Appreciate it. Thank you, and, and take care. You too. Next to your fire.